The peace of Christ be with you. As we get settled in, give yourselves a few deep breaths to be gathered into the presence of the Holy Spirit. Sisters and brothers, let us worship the living God. As you are able, please stand, body and spirit, call to worship. Praise for the newest of the day, for fresh light and possibility. Praise for wisdom and understanding, for moral courage and creativity. Praise for the breaking of old cycles and all things made new in Christ. be seated. Welcome. Welcome to worship here at Westminster. If you're visiting, a special welcome to you. If you are visiting, I encourage you to look out for someone wearing a name tag. It means they've been here for a while and can welcome you and answer any questions you might have. And let that serve as a reminder to you, if you have a name tag, please wear it. It helps. It helps a lot. <laughs> 
So let's join together now in the community prayer. It's printed in your bulletin. Let us pray. When wronged, we want to return harm. When proven right, we can be tempted to lord it over the When confronted with a call to forgiveness, we tend to hear a call for weakness or a divine mandate to put up Help us see forgiveness as a tool to break patterns of hurt, to free ourselves and one another from an inheritance of pain. Set us free and set us on the work of passing that freedom to others. Amen. Our prayers continue in quiet. Amen. Friends, know that just as we are called to forgive others, so does God forgive us. God forgives us and sets us free and holds us in God's ever-expanding embrace of love and grace. Thanks be to God. Amen. So since this is the third Sunday of the month, it's our birthday blessing Sunday If you have a birthday in September, or if maybe you missed a birthday blessing in a previous month, I invite you to come forward. Okay, stand on up here if this is your birthday month. You'll see I've taken uh, the top off the baptismal font because for me, your birthday is not only a time to remember your biological birth, but it's a good time to remember your spiritual birth. We celebrate that in our tradition with baptism when we claim uh, what God has already done which is call us God's own, God's own children and God's own beloved. So in a moment after you receive your individual blessing, if you want, you're invited to go over and to touch that water as a tangible reminder of God's love for you and claim on your life for fullness and joy. I want to offer you as a group a prayer of protection. It comes out of the unity tradition. And so as you celebrate your birthday this year and as you look forward to the year ahead, might you go forward knowing God's care and provision for you. So I'll invite you right now, if you're comfortable, go ahead and put your hand on your heart. This is not a pledge, don't worry. We don't do that here. Um, Well, we do pledge, but that'll come next week. That's a different issue. (laughs) This is not about, yeah, (laughs) this is not an allegiance. This is a, a receiving of grace. So repeat after me. The light of God surround us. The love of God enfold us. The power of God protect us. Wherever we are, God is. And all is well. Let that be your gift and a tool for you, for all of you to use this year, to remember the light of God surrounds us, the love of God enfolds us, the power of God protects us, the presence of God watches over us. Wherever we are, God is, and therefore, all is well. Happy birthday. We'll receive your individual blessing.
Amen, and happy birthday. I now want to invite any of the children worshiping with us to join me here at the front. All right, come on down. Hello. Oh, oh, I got hello in multiple languages. I love it, and actually that's perfect for what I'm about to talk about. So if you were here last week, I talked about how in just a couple of weeks, on the first Sunday of October, we are going to celebrate World Communion Sunday. This table here will have bread and juice, and we'll celebrate And we'll remember the last meal that Jesus had with his disciples, his friends. And not only will we do that, but Christians all around the world will be doing that on World Communion Sunday. So for the next couple weeks, we're going to think a little bit about what the communion table is all about, what the Lord's Supper is all about, why we share in communion together. So last week we talked about love. Really, when we share this meal that we call communion, it's all about remembering and celebrating God's love. And so today, I also want to remember that this meal, this communion that we call it, is about peace. In fact, before we come to the table every month when we celebrate this meal, we, all of us, share the peace of Christ with one another. Have any of you ever been here in the sanctuary when we do that? I know, I know often you're in Sunday school, but what we do is we encourage people to maybe give each other a handshake or a wave or a hug and to say, the peace of Christ be with you. And then we respond, and also with you. And it's important that we share this meal, we start this meal by sharing peace with each other. Now, that's not to say that we're always going to get along with everyone. It's not to say that we won't have disagreements. But when we come here to this table and when we share this meal together, we remember that Jesus calls us to be at peace in ourselves, to be at peace with one another. So I was thinking, how could we best show a table of peace? And I was thinking often when two countries come together to try to come up with a peace agreement, or when even two different people might come to negotiate some peace, it's often at a nice conference table, right? And there's often nice pitchers of water involved. You can't be thirsty if you're negotiating peace, right? So we've got some nice water, we've got some glasses for the water, some cups, and then often it's countries that talk about being at peace with one another, right? So what I have here is I have flags of all different kinds of countries. And what I want to do is I want to decorate this table as a table of peace, as a table where countries or people come together and think about how we can be peaceful with one another. Okay? So what I want to do is we're going to put these cups on the table, and then we're just going to stick one of these flags or two of these flags in the cup, and we will have a table decorated of peace. Okay? So why don't you just take one or two of these Sort of hand them out to each other. Good. And I'm going to hand out some cups up here, and we're going to put the water, and we're going to decorate a table of peace. So come on up. Come on. Come to the table of peace. Come to the table of peace. This is God's table. It's not yours or mine. Come to the table of peace. Make sure all the cups get some flags. Come to the table of peace. Oh, looking good. Come to the table of peace. This is God's table. It's not yours or mine. Come to the table of peace. Good. Did everyone get to put their flag in? All right. Oh, this is great. Just think about all the peace that we make when we live in peace. 
So we're getting our flags there. All right. So as they finish up, let's have a prayer. Loving God, we give you thanks for all the ways that your peace fills our lives. May we be able to share that peace with one another. Amen. All right, Cindy's right there. You're going to follow her out to Finley Hall. Go now in peace. Go now in peace. May the love of God surround you everywhere, everywhere you may go. Amen. Now is a time in our worship when we share our joys and our concerns with each other so that we may be in prayer together. I have just a couple to share with you, and then I will invite you to share as well. Uh, yesterday was our quarterly presbytery meeting, means churches from all across our geographical region gathered clergy and lay people for worship and business and celebration. And uh, Larry Villardo was recognized. He's a pastor in Rockville. He'll be retiring in a couple of weeks. And he actually got his start in ministry here at Westminster. He was an intern while in seminary and was an important part of this congregation many years ago. Some of you may even remember him from that time. So just wanted to lift up a joy for him as he concludes his ministry career and moves on to other things in his life. We'll keep him in our prayers two weeks from now. And then also at 8.30, our middle schoolers got a great treat. Jeff arranged for Imam Fassi to come visit them. Imam who is at the Islamic Center of Northern Marin. He came and he discussed mostly about um, practices that he uses in his own Muslim faith to uh, be in relationship with the divine. The middle schoolers are having a series on prayer And they heard all about how prayer and other uh, techniques that Imam Fasi uses. And it was just a joy to have him here, to have that interfaith perspective. So other joys or concerns that you all have to share today. Welcome, Colette. Thanks for being here. Bruce? Yeah, just continuing prayers for my great niece. She was in rehab, but she had to go back to ICU and brain start swelling again. Uh, hopefully, she will be back in rehab at the beginning of this coming week. So just have prayers for her. Yeah, prayers for Bruce's great niece. Yes, June. Absolutely so. June's husband, Scotty, has been not feeling well for a while now, and June's offering prayers of thanks for all of our prayers and support and the good news that he is finally starting to feel better. Yeah, Catherine. Um, I prayers for my friend Susan and her longtime partner, uh, Ollie, who sadly is dying. Prayers for friend Susan, whose longtime partner, Ollie, is dying. Kyle. Excellent. Brother and his wife, who are living overseas, are going to be visiting later this year. That's exciting. Yes. Absolutely. So in addition to recognizing Larry yesterday, our own Hamp Mauvais was installed as the moderator of the presbytery. Uh, so you, he'll serve in that role for the coming year. And we just give thanks that you're, you're doing that. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah, Jim. There he is. He's waving to us. (laughs) Yeah. 
joy that Jim is able to be worshiping with us today. It's good to see you, Jim. So we've been praying for Dominic Phillips following an extensive back surgery. He's now back in the hospital for an infection. And then also his dad's dad has died recently. So prayers for the Phillips family. Yeah, Sharon. Yay! Stephen Van Dusen had family affected by Hurricane Irma, and they have power, which is wonderful news. And we certainly continue to keep all those affected by both Irma and Harvey in our prayers. Let's take a few moments in quiet, and then I'll lead us in the Lord's Prayer. So let us pray. Gracious God, you hear the prayers of your people, and they're offered in the name of the one who teaches us to pray together, saying, Our
First scripture reading this morning comes from Exodus 14, 19 to 31. Listen for what it has to say to you. The angel of God, who was going before the Israelite army, moved and went behind them. And the pillar of cloud moved, <clears throat> excuse me, <coughs> moved from in front of them and took its place behind them. It came between the army of Egypt and the army of Israel. And so the cloud was there with the darkness, and it lit up the night. One did not come near the other night. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea. The Lord drove the sea back by a strong east wind all night, turned the sea into dry land, and the waters were divided. The Israelites went into the sea on dry ground, the waters forming a wall for them on their right and on their left. The Egyptians pursued and went into the sea after them. All of Pharaoh's horses, chariots, chariot drivers. At the morning watch, the Lord in the pillar of fire and cloud looked down upon the Egyptian army and threw the Egyptian army into panic. He clogged their chariot wheels so that they turned with difficulty. The Egyptians said, Let us flee from the Israelites, for the Lord is fighting for them against Egypt. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over the sea, so that the water may come back upon the Egyptians, upon their chariots and chariot drivers. So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea. The waters returned and covered the chariots and the chariot drivers. The entire army of Pharaoh that had followed them into the sea, not one of them remained. But the Israelites walked on dry ground through the sea, the waters forming a wall for them on their right and on their left. Thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Israel saw the great work that the Lord did against the Egyptians. So the people feared the Lord and believed in the Lord and his servant Moses. Thanks be to God. From that first powerful and somewhat difficult reading to the second, from the 18th chapter of Matthew's Gospel, Then Peter came and said to Jesus, Lord, if another member of the church sins against me, how often should I forgive? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, not seven times, but I tell you, seventy-seven times. For this reason, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves. When he began the reckoning, one who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. And as he could not pay, his Lord ordered him to be sold, together with his wife and his children, and all his possessions and payment to be made. So the slave fell on his knees before him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, The Lord of that slave released him and forgave him the debt. But that same slave, as he went out, came upon one of his fellow slaves who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him by the throat, he said, pay what you owe. But he refused. No, excuse me. Then his fellow slave fell down and pleaded with him. Have patience with me and I will repay you. But he refused, and then went and threw him into prison until he would pay the debt. When his fellow slaves saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed. And they went and reported to their Lord all that had taken place. Then his Lord summoned him and said to him, You wicked slave, I forgave you all that debt. Because you pleaded with me. Should you not have had mercy on your fellow slave? 
as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his Lord handed him over to be tortured until he would pay his entire debt. So my heavenly Father will also do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother or sister from your heart. Friends, this is holy wisdom, holy word. Thanks be to God. When I think of forgiveness, several extraordinary examples come to mind. The first is the Amish shooting in 2006 and how quick that community was to offer forgiveness. More recently, we can think of Dylan Roof, who went into a largely African-American Bible study and opened fire. You can actually watch video proceedings, uh, a video of the court proceedings, and a, a survivor, or actually a loved one of someone who was slain, says of her loved one, I will never get to hold her again. And in the same breath says, but I forgive you. Ruth's face is unchanged by the offer of grace. Even more recently than that, we think of the father of Heather Heyer, Heyer who was mowed down in Charlottesville. Father offered forgiveness to the killer, though to my knowledge, the killer to this day is unrepentant of the act. And with the passing anniversary this last week, I'm reminded of all the weighty questions of forgiveness that surround those awful attacks on September 11. Well, those are extraordinary examples, to be sure. I wonder what experiences of forgiveness you've had in your life. When you've received forgiveness, when you were just waiting to get what was coming to you, and then in a surprise moment, you were let off the hook. If you've had that experience, recall how that felt. Or perhaps you've been someone who's extended that forgiveness to someone else, and you can remember their expression when, to their surprise, they were released. Remember how that felt? Those feelings are indicators of something that's deep in our soul or our biology, pick your language system. Now, my comments assume that those feelings were good feelings. But I'm also plenty aware that forgiveness doesn't always feel good. Because perhaps you're someone who's been asked to forgive time and again by the same person for the same transgression. And after a while, it starts to feel like you're being taken advantage of, and you are. Or perhaps you're the repeat offender, and you are all too familiar with what it feels like to let a loved one down again and again with the same transgression, and you're too familiar with the dirtiness of the feeling of having to ask for it yet again. Any teaching no matter how simple it seems, can have a shadow side and can be misapplied. And that's why I think it's actually quite tricky when Peter comes to Jesus and says, Lord, how many times should I forgive? As many as seven? Seven, the holy number of completion? And Jesus says, no, not seven, 77. And some manuscripts even read 70 times seven. How many times should we forgive again and again and again and again? Are we always to take that as the lesson? What about the victim of domestic abuse? Of sexual assault? Are we to tell them that the faithful them, thing for them to do is to take it? Again and again? No, the life of faith can never be so simplistic as regurgitating a bunch of memorized teachings. It involves a deeper wisdom 
than that. Among other things, the Bible is full of contradictory teachings. I mean, just stay for a moment with this uh, notion of forgiveness. In Luke, it says, there is no forgiveness for those who blaspheme against the Holy Spirit. Whatever that means. In Romans, it says, all who call upon the Lord, all will be saved, period. Or explore other topics. In Ephesians, it says, you will be saved by faith. Through, uh, you saved uh, by grace through faith. Through grace by faith. You get the point. <laughs> and not works. Right? Ephesians. Go over to James. Don't you know that we are justified by works and not faith? So true wisdom is not being able to spit out all the teachings. Wisdom is knowing when to apply which teachings, in what situations, and in what manner. That's the life of faith. It's not simplistic. Consider the context, for example, of the very teaching that Jesus offered. Peter comes to him and says, if someone sins against me in the church, how many times should I forgive them? In the church is the key phrase. Peter is coming to him uh, about a, a dispute that's happening within a, a community. This is a committed body of people who presumably have some semblance of shared values, have some sense of a shared vision, and presumably are committed to one another. And when Jesus tells him to forgive again and again, part of what Jesus is doing is trying to keep that community intact because it presumes the transgressor is trying. And forgiveness is actually but a tool in that higher purpose. If you want to know what the higher purpose is, just keep reading. Notice the exchange about forgiveness is quite short. Most of the reading I shared is this long parable that Jesus goes on to tell. And he says, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who forgives this slave who has a massive debt to him. And then that same slave, who's owed a little bit by somebody else, grabs that person by the throat and says, pay up. And that slave is judged for not extending the same grace to his debtor that was extended to him. Because I'll say something a little bit surprising to you, perhaps. I don't think this is about forgiveness. Wait a minute, you said. I mean, the whole question was about forgiveness. I think forgiveness is but a tool in Jesus' ultimate goal, which is to break harmful cycles. Cycles of returning hurt for hurt and passing it down from one generation. And if forgiveness is a tool that's helpful in that, then employ it. And if forgiveness perpetuates that, then cast it off. Now, is, is, is that saying that those earlier extraordinary examples I gave to you are unfaithful? Of course not. People will report often that when they offer forgiveness, it sets them free. Right? Well, who am I to tell someone else to stop doing something that has set them free from an awful experience? And at the same time, who am I to impose that position on someone else? I can recall conversations with a World War II veteran who has said to me on more than one occasion, I'm sorry, Pastor, I can't forgive those I fought against. After all I saw, after all that death, I can't do it. Does Jesus want me to lecture him on forgiveness? The larger purpose, the higher purpose is breaking these cycles of harm. Just consider the Old Testament story. 
That's exactly what's going on. Wait a minute, you say, I thought I just heard a story about God drowning an entire army of people. You're telling me this is about breaking cycles of harm? Yes. It's an uncomfortably violent story, no doubt. But notice where the violence is located. Rather than the Israelites having to participate in a cycle of violence in order to earn their own freedom, God takes it off their hands. Says, it's not your business. I'll take care of it. Now, before we go down this road of calling the Old Testament violent and barbaric, remember, the very same thing happens in the Newer Testament. Paul writes, never avenge yourselves. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. That's my business. It's not your business. And even in that strange, perhaps imperfect, perhaps even crude form, God is trying to liberate God's people from the endless cycle of violence and harm. Get out of it. Let me take care of it. This, after all, is the biblical witness all throughout. Remember Genesis. There's wickedness loose on the land and God brings a flood and wipes out most of it save for a remnant with Noah and a smelly boat. And afterwards, what does God do? God retires God's war bow in the sky. That's what the rainbow is. It's a war bow. And God says, I'm done. I'm hanging it up. I will no longer have a relationship with creation that is based on transgression and punishment. The cycle ends here. And when God makes God's covenant with Abram, notice it's a one-sided agreement. Nothing is demanded of the people. Nothing is demanded of Abram. Only blessing is bestowed upon Abram and the generations to follow. It's as if God is saying, let's be clear, this is not going to be a relationship where you transgress and I punish. In effect, God is saying in advance, I forgive you. In our beloved Jesus, who would endure even the cross, so as not to participate in cycles of retribution and violence. Exposing such false power to just one-up one another in hurt is the hallmark of false power, and Jesus wants none of it. Speaking of false power, I was reminded this week, or actually I saw this week, a quote shared by um, a Jewish friend of mine. Uh, On the occasion of September 11th, part of it appears on your bulletin. And it says this, sectarianism, bigotry, and its horrible descendant fanaticism have long possessed this beautiful earth. They have filled the earth with violence, drenched it often and often with human blood, destroyed civilization, and sent whole nations to despair. Had it not been for these horrible demons, human society would be far more advanced than it is now. Isn't that the truth? I was reminded of a statistic this week. Close to 3,000 people died in those horrible attacks on the World Trade Center on September 11th. 2,997, if my numbers are correct. As a result of the U.S invasion in Iraq in response, the estimates vary, but at least 500,000 people were killed by us, and as many as 1.2 million people who had nothing to do with the attacks on September 11. Not quite 3,000, at least half a million. You see, the quote I read to you a moment ago about fanaticism and violence that's resulted was indeed from September 11th, but not September 11th, 2001 in New York City, 
nor on the first anniversary in 2002, nor in 2017 or any year in between. No, it was made by Swami Vivekananda at the opening of the World Parliament of Religions in Chicago in 1893. Sectarianism, bigotry, and its horrible descendant fanaticism have long possessed this beautiful earth. They filled the earth with violence, drenched it often and often with human blood, destroying civilization, and sent whole nations to despair. Had it not been for these horrible demons, human society would be far more advanced than it is now. He continues, but their time has come. And I fervently hope that the bell that tolled this morning in honor of this convention may be the death knell of all fanaticism, of all persecutions with their sword or with the pen, and of all uncharitable feelings between persons wending their way to the same goal. The cycles are old and deep. And Jesus wants to release us from the cycles into which we've been born and into which we've been indoctrinated. Our greatest challenge is not revenge. It's in recognizing the futility of that project, of perpetuating that cycle, because that merely amounts to the endless peddling of pain. Our challenge is to bring every tool we have to bear on breaking cycles of harm until we realize for once and for all or again and again and again 70 times 7 that we share the same goal. Amen.
You may be seated. I want to highlight just a couple of things coming up in the life of the church and encourage you to take a look at all the announcements in the bulletin. First, Bob already introduced Colette. She will be offering a session right after worship on the gift of spiritual renewal. Our Spiritual Life Commission specifically invited her to come now as the fall begins. Often schedules get busier and life gets more hectic. And Colette's going to help us remember to take some time for our spirit and our soul. So thank you for being with us today. At 4 o'clock this afternoon is our first of our monthly messy church events. Uh, meant mostly for families with kids, but really all ages are welcome. If you don't have kids living in your house, come anyway. Enjoy the crafts and the games and the stories and the dinner. It's going to be a fun time from 4 to 6. Tomorrow morning begins our yoga series at 9.30. Westminster member Aaron Elliott is going to be offering this for the next few weeks. If you're a beginner, if you're an expert, it doesn't matter. Just come join in Mondays at 9.30 a.m. And then finally, next Sunday, following the worship, is our eco-fair. There's a poster with more information out in the narthex. But basically, there's going to be all kinds of booths and tables set up with different ideas for what you might do in your own household uh, to care for creation. So you're invited to that next week. Now I invite you to stand as you are comfortable for our closing hymn. It's number 435. If you're a parent, if you're wondering, there is child care for the event after church, so by all means go. Your children will be in good hands and you will be more calm, so I encourage you. Friends, now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God who is Father and who is Mother of all of us, in the sweet communion of the Holy Spirit, be with you this, be with you this day, and be with you every day. Amen.